Hello, and welcome to the Thrive Yoga and Wellness Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I am so excited to share today's episode. We will be diving into a little bit more of the philosophy, maybe even a bit of history, and tiptoeing perhaps into some mythology surrounding a yoga practice here in the West. Now, we are not experts by any shape of the imagination. We are yoga enthusiasts sharing the information that we have learned along our journey, and we hope that you find it entertaining and maybe even a little educational. Thank you so much for tuning in, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel. Hello, hello, how are you guys? My name is Jennifer Dixon and I'm from Thrive Yoga and Wellness and we've got... I'm Merritt Malief Plum. I work with Thrive Yoga and Wellness as well as the Energy Center where I do integrative energy medicine. And we got new chairs so I might fidget. They're really, really cool chairs but I just noticed... Why do you put your rear end in the middle of it? Because then I, I feel like I'll slouch. Oh. (laughs) We got new chairs, and so I will do my best to be a big girl and sit up tall, but I like it. We feel like taller. I feel a little taller. Yeah, I think so too. So we are taking, I know last week we may have teased about going into some mythology behind the stories, but uh, during just conversations... And I don't know if you've seen, one time we did a video and I legit said, oh, look at the squirrel in the middle of our and conversation. there really was a squirrel. There really was a squirrel. So you may or may not have noticed, we may get, a, and it's probably me more than you, a, a little distracted. And so I was I was talking to Merritt last week and I was like, you know what we should do? Instead of talking about waterfall pose, which we will do, but that will be in a few weeks, we are going to go through the yamas and the niyamas and make that a... I guess that would technically be an 11 week series, right? Because if there's 10, five yamas and five niyamas. And We're today, doing a summary today. So, so the yeah. next, yeah, the next 11 weeks. Yes. Yeah, starting today. So for the basically for the next few months, we're going to go through the yamas and the niyamas. It's a little bit different than what we had originally planned, but I love it because these are the foundations, if you will, of, hmm. The yogic lifestyle. Yeah, they're basically the yoga ethical practices that go beyond the poses. It's the the deeper, how we live our life every day, the principles, the guidelines. But before any of you get super freaked out, it doesn't have to, the yamas and the niyamas, they don't have to be contrary to anything that you may believe at present. So sometimes it can get scary once you get away from those postures, like, oh, what are these people talking about? So I wanted to make sure, because I was scared of it at first. Well, they're very basic human guidelines Correct. that that are simple. And, you know, I've been, as I've been studying just the overview of it and, and kind of reflecting on the first one, I've tried to focus on that throughout the week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we'll talk about what they are in a minute, but... So before we go too far, the yamas and the niyamas are actually just two parts of the eight limbs, otherwise right. known as ashtanga. The first two limbs of an eightfold path. Correct, correct. Yes. There. So before, this is our boyfriend, before we even get to the asanas, the physical postures, we have these tenets, if you will, of, of being, how we react and respond to each other and then how 
we are managing ourselves. Would you call it that way? Yes. So do you want to go over really quickly what the other eight limbs are? We have to do them from memory. Oh, the eight limbs? Just, yeah. I'm okay, totally throwing that out of here. You'll need to do that because I didn't prepare myself for that. <laughs> I was going to talk about these the ten, two ten, limbs ten. of the eightfold. <laughs> yeah. But so, that would be good. I, uh, so the yamas and the niyamas are the, the, so if there's eight limbs, the first two that we talk about are the yamas and the niyamas. And then there's a total of eight. And these other, I... We, oh, by the way, we're going to reference this, and I'll put a link down below. This is a great book by Deborah Adele. She's, she's got it on Audible. I've got the, the paperback. I'll probably get it on Audible as well because it is a really easy to read and easy to follow, I guess you could call it guide, to the Yamas and the Niyamas. It, puts, it makes something that was basically four thousands or thousands of years old something that we can understand today yeah, yeah. bring in the mm -hmm. so so the yamas and the niyamas by deborah dell that's that's what we're kind of using to help reference our frame of conversation but let's go back to this eightfold path so if you imagine a tree and it's got eight limbs these would be the limbs the first the first two are the yamas and the niyamas the other six would be the asanas the pranayama pratyahara that's like sense withdrawal Dharana concentration, which we build with meditation, and Merit leads a great meditation class. Wednesday night, 7.45. You like how I segued that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Dhyana, or meditation. Oops, that would have been the next one. I apologize. And Samadhi, a state of unity. So we're not going to go into all eight limbs in this part of our series, but we just want to break down the yamas and the niyamas. And let's... You want to... Oh, yeah. Okay, sorry, I just kind of have spaced out. Like, what are we doing? So, there are actually five yamas and five niyamas. Yes, and the yamas represent restraints. It translates, yama translates to restraints. So, they're five restraints. But we shouldn't think, this is when, when That's I That's what the Sanskrit word yeah. translates to. But, but, but restraint. by restraint, by restraint, it's not like, uh... I, sometimes restraint has such a, even in me, in that, and I'm trying to practice it, like somebody tells me I can't do something, I get angry. But it's not like that. It's not like some, it's not like things that you can't do. It's, it's, it's things that will improve your overall quality right. of life if you can restrain yourself from them. Right, because the first yama is nonviolence. So nonviolence is a restraint if you're operating from your e ego. But if you're operating from this deeper principle of, of the yogic path, then that becomes a natural thing mm -hmm. to do, yeah. to be nonviolent is a natural thing. Yeah. So yeah, the word restraints, the way it translates in the English can be a negative connotation, but, but these are beautiful. She calls them jewels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like that a lot. Jewels of wisdom that can help us align and their guidelines that'll that can help us be our best selves yes correct correct and so all ten of them are I'm gonna have to read them because I'm not going to remember them all by name the the first one is ahimsa and that's what we're gonna cover next week and that is the non-violence that Merritt was just talking about and do you want to just kind of go into a little just a little bit the translation of it so this means refraining from causing harm examples can be vegetarianism in our modern age the way we live that doesn't harm the environment even recycling uh, it's important to realize that it also refers to 
the harm that we can do to ourselves oh, through yeah. having destructive habits. Being too busy and getting thoughts. short. Yeah, yes, repressed emotions. She talks about that in her book too. And even pushing ourselves too far in a yoga pose can be a form of violence. Yep. Yoga or in life, just pushing too hard and not giving yourself enough And I just space. want to reference this article because it's great. It's called Yama Bringing Yoga into Practice, Bringing Yoga Practice to Daily Life. And it is by Vagabond Temple. It's really an amazing article. So, and then the next one is Satya Truth. That's a deep one. Yes. And these Satya and Ahimsa, they kind of go together. They're like twins, maybe. Yeah. They're separate, but they go together. Well, the nonviolence is the foundation of them all because the truth will lead you back to, okay, reflecting again on nonviolence. But the, the interesting thing that I thought that Deborah made in this book was if there's ever a conflict, which we'll talk about in the Satya week, if there's ever a conflict between nonviolence and truth, you pick nonviolence. Yes. You always pick always the nonviolence. Pick the path of nonviolence. And, and that that can, if if more of us can remember that, and there's actually stories from the Mahabharata where the character Krishna goes into detail about that with the Pandava brothers. So there's lots of. Uh, it was confusing to me at first until we started talk, bringing into these yamas and having these conversations. Like, okay, it makes sense. Right. Always choose nonviolence. Right. And so again, the second one is Satya Truth. It is about paying attention to our speech, the way we speak to others, the way we speak to ourselves. Keeping in mind that the way that you speak to yourself overflows into how you speak to how others. How you relate to others. And, you know, and always, instead of just reflecting on the I, being, you know, in service to others. And we talked about that a little bit. Wasn't that last week where if we're feeling like we're needing to do something and getting lost, going out and serving others helps... To, to change that dialogue, perhaps, of confusion. The, the beautiful part about satya and truthfulness is, you know that saying, sometimes the truth hurts, but then that's not going back to the nonviolent nature of truth. And so the truths that we talk about ourselves, you know, I, I was guilty not too long ago, and I still every now and then say, God, I'm so stupid. Like just, you know, when I make like some sort of silly mistake, and it's one of those things you got to say, no, I'm not. I'm not stupid. I might have done something careless, but those little bitty negative yes. truths end up going out to the world. Yes. And, yeah. And then again, that's showing non-balance towards yourself. So there's that foundation again that we come to. And so do you want to go over the third one? Okay. So I'm afraid I'll say it oh, wrong. Asteya? Asteya is not stealing. Non-stealing. That one should be kind obvious of obvious it's not way. taking taking things that don't belong to you but it's also very energetic is you know are you when are you bringing your burdens to others and and like staying collapsed in those in those burdens in ways that takes energy from others Ooh. if someone gives you guidance are you taking that guidance and discerning it for yourself or are you just wasting in the native tradition it's called the burden basket and it's that if you seek the guidance of a wise person that you heed that advice you don't waste the medicine person's time so in a way that's kind of taking or stealing energy in a way that you're not using to realign your life well could you also think of i liked that 
burden basket. Yeah, we, we need to talk. We'll talk about the burden basket when we get to this one. Okay, that one's really because cool. Because it's a great story and it's very applicable to everyday life. That's that. I can't wait for that one. The, on the flip side, we can also think about it is not stealing someone else's ability to work it out. Yes. I am guilty of this. I am too. I'm very guilty of this. I like, thought about that a lot when I was reading this book. Yeah, just because I want to fix things. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I will get into it every now and then. He's like, Jennifer, I don't need you to fix anything. I just need you to listen. Mm -hmm. And we've been married now long enough that when he, he comes home and he says something, I'll actually, when I'm trying, when I'm in my a stay of place, I guess, I'll be like, okay, honey, do you want me to fix this? Or do you want me to just listen? Right. And so now I'm, now I'm at least learning that. But we can, by thinking we're helping, we can take away the person's ability to grow on their own. And, and again, going back to the burden basket, we take away their lesson of self-reliance. Mm. So, so we'll talk about, we'll go into all that deeper. Okay, say this one. Brahmacharya. Control of sexuality. It's not a yoga is not opposed to sex, but it views sexual energy as one of the most powerful forces that we have. If you study Kundalini and the the base root aspects of yoga or any kind of energetic principles, but sexual desire can overwhelm us, and if we're not careful, so people can get unhealthy with their sexual tendencies too. So yogis have developed these techniques that can help us divert this powerful energy away from everyday sexuality instead of using it, instead using it for spiritual development, using that energy to align and grow within yourself instead of always, always acting on it. That doesn't take away from, you know, that, that a good, a healthy sex life is, is healthy and good but this is more about a discipline kind of thing, is how I take it. The way that Deborah explained it as well is um, not just in the sexual nature, but she talked to taming our overindulgence. Mm -hmm. And we're all guilty of, all, and, and it could be overindulgence with it in the sex, sex realm, but it could be overindulgence in anything in our life. Right, and, and I think that these Sanskrit translations in the English may leave some of that kind of in the dark that maybe that wasn't exactly how the Sanskrit word was mm -hmm. um, but yama is but it's an English translation yeah yeah I, I love the idea of it addressing the yamas and the niyamas addressing things thousands of years ago that we still have to deal with today like over excessive whether it's excessive sex excessive eating excessive sleeping excessive work like that's not being that's that's not that's being violent to yourself when you're working too much or you're being too busy or you you start to to excessively do anything so these yamas and the niyamas just remind us to maybe step back a second breathe hopefully right yeah it's about you know using that pranayama and the other practices but especially through pranayama and as a barama that's the meditative Yes, to stay in that centered place and move from there instead of all these things that come at us every day, especially in the West, that we can we can go in so many different directions instead of 
living as, as simple of a life as possible. Mm -hmm. Yep, and it's helping us to re remain calm, to stay at peace, which isn't against Christianity to, to find your peace and to seek, seek your peace. It just kind of helps. These are, I feel like, actionable things that we can do to stay in the peace. Yes. Okay, say the next word. Aparigraha. Non-possessiveness. Oh, this one's hard. Yes, this is about our attachment to external objects and people. I ideas, even. And things, yes. yes. People and things and ideas. And how even how other people need to act in order for us to be okay with them. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're really okay within yourself and you have none of these outside attachments then you're more in a place of allowing others to be exactly where they are as well. So this is a big one. A beautiful thing that Deborah said in this book was, it's not that you neglect the relationships. You give the relationships space to, to bloom and be and do the things they naturally would do so that you can experience it to the fullest in real time. As compared to, I may be guilty of this since I like lists, so we go on vacation and I want to plan every single day. I'll give us three hours here, two hours here, blah, right. blah, blah. And that is me trying to control this external situation instead of being in the moment. So letting go of that external. I'm to the other extreme. Which is why we get along so well. Yeah. We balance each other. Right. The yin, somebody called us the yin and yang. <laughs> Was that us? I don't remember. I know Elizabeth has said that too. Yeah, I Hi, think Elizabeth. so. But it's in. But Johnson's been great. My husband's been great at that. For and it started out even on our honeymoon because I wanted to. I I wanted to see it all, and he's like, "Dude, babe, we're on a honeymoon. Let's just chill." Yeah. And that's hard. That's hard for somebody that wants to have that control of external. Things. I think David's more like you. And I'm like, don't plan out every this. I mean, there may be things there that aren't... That we don't know about. That's, yeah. It's funny how we're put together that way. So those are the five yamas, right? Yep. You go over them all. And so the, the yamas kind of go beyond the yoga mat and into that deeper discipline that in foundation, the yamas, that then the practice springs forth from. Oh, beautiful way of putting that. I like it. So now we're going to dive into the niyamas. So the yamas and now had five of them. And now we're going to go into the niyamas really quickly. Will you say it? Saucha. Saucha. <laughs> it's, it's striving for purity in our environments, bodies, and minds. We find ourselves closer to what matters, the simple pleasures of life, and, and a basic connection to our divine nature. So when we're in alignment with this, we more dis disidentify with the material part of existence to see that pure spirit is truth and the physical is the other. So we're, we're she said it in a different way, but I've always said this too. We are not souls. We're not bodies with a soul. We're a soul first and we're hanging out in this human form, I think is how she put it. And I thought, that was cool. Uh, yeah, we're, we're contained in this. The thing that I liked about purity is that it was fire. Mm. The word the, the word for that was fire. And it, um, I'm pretty sure that that was the one that was fire. I might have been wrong, but I'm pretty sure I said it was fire. But it's an invitation to cleanse our bodies, our attitudes, and our actions. 
And so I like to think, maybe that's where I got it. I like to think about fire because how do you make gold? If you find gold, like in their heels, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't come out looking like your shiny ring. It comes out on like a big rock with a whole bunch of other crap. Right. Kind of all connected to it. So how do they purify gold? They have to get it in the fire, man. And they have to melt off, burn off all the other crap. And purity comes through fire. So that could be purity in your body, building up the heat in an asana practice. It could be the fire of trials, right? It That's helping us to grow and get closer to the self. Mm. Nice. I think I remember in that section, I'm amazed at how you remember so much from reading a book. And it's probably because I'm, I'm reading it, thinking about what we're going to talk about. So instead of just relaxing and reading it, I, you know, I'm like, okay, oh, that's good. I want to say that, you know, (laughs) but I think she said, can you handle the heat in this section? And I I thought that was a nice reflection. Mm -hmm. So on Thursday, I'm going to be teaching power yoga on Thursdays at Thrive Yoga and Wellness at 630. That's one way to purify yourself. I guess get in there and move in heat. Yeah, yoga in all its forms can be very purifying. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the physical practice helps you align with these principles in one way or another. But I think when we reflect on the deeper principles, it makes it so much more meaningful. I agree. I agree. I really agree. And I love how it it goes back into the other jewels. You know, like we need to have the fire. We need to face the fire every now and then. Yes. And if you have a friend that's facing the fire... Instead of being possessive and trying to fix that, just being beside the friend while they're going through the fire and believing in the friend's ability to make it through. Like, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, because you're trusting in their own divine journey instead of trying to tell them how to do it or tell them what they need to do to make their life better. You're trusting in their innate divine ability. And sometimes we do have to guide and help and and help one another in that way but if it comes from more of a supportive non-violent spirit then it's only going to help them it's like that give a man to fish he'll eat for a day teach a man to fish he'll eat for life right so the next one is santosha contentment in practicing this we acknowledge that our reaction to conditions is in our control so instead of things sending us on the roller coaster ride we're more in the middle just appreciating the lesson and everything and and being content with the growth that we're experiencing we're not striving outside of we're appreciative for the things we have instead of always seeking for for more this one i love the contentment one i i struggle with it a lot because and not as much anymore. It's getting better. But especially when I first lost my job and my identity with the, the job and the income and, and being okay with, you know, not going shopping or blah, blah, blah. But mm-hmm. it, it, struck, it strikes home even more. Paul talks about it in the New Testament. I believe it's in Ephesians. And I should have looked it up before I left. And I told myself to and I forgot. But We'll go deeper into this. Yeah. For sure. he, yes. he said he's learned to be content whether he has a little or a lot. Yes. And... What a powerful thing. It's so huge. To realize that our peace is really just a perception or a state of mind that 
we have complete control over. It's beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. So contentment, Santosha. Yes, contentment. And then now we have the tapas, self-discipline. Can you talk about this one? So sure. So self-discipline. I have. And I think it's funny how we can sometimes have self-discipline in some areas and sometimes not. Oh yes, it's so, unbelievable. <laughs> so it's like you know when it comes to eating donuts, I can be like, eh, nah, nah, I don't need a donut. But you put a plate of hot chocolate chip cookies out. Mm, there is no self-discipline there, <laughs> and and that's a very superficial and sort of silly way. But the fact of the matter is, is we have to have this self-discipline to be able to remain calm to lose that possessiveness, to be content. We have to have the discipline because guess what? Like in this, this journey of life, we're in a boat and sometimes the water's real glassy and sometimes it's holy mother, look at the waves, you know? And so if we are not disciplined enough to recognize the ups and downs for what they are, waves in this journey of life and being calm, even in it, then all of it kind of goes to put, right? There goes our non-violence towards ourselves, our non-possessiveness. Like, it just all goes to put if we don't have the self-discipline. Mm -hmm. So how to bring that in the areas? Because you're super disciplined, as far as I can perceive, when it comes to your actual practice. Hmm. You're very disciplined. You do it pretty much every day. You teach every week. And, you know... I see you as very disciplined in that way. Like I, I admire you. you. You're a guide for me in that way. Um, and then in, I'm like you though, and I'm very disciplined with my meditation. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I always stretch that out into some of the struggles I have. Mm -hmm. So I can be meditative in the moment and then kind of go back to some of my extreme behavior, eating chocolate chip cookies in this example. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to watch that. And I think that the journey of a yoga practice, a journey of the self to the self, every day that self-discipline going back to your meditation practice or for me going back to that physical practice, it's helping, at least for me, it's helping me to identify the triggers. And it's yes. helping me to, to dive a little deeper. So for me, in this example of the cookies, I try not to make too many chocolate chip cookies. I'll just be honest, sometimes I break down, like over the holidays I was baking like crazy, but. The, I miss those days. <laughs> the, the truth is, is it's every day you come back to it. And in an era and time where we want to take some pills and be better in 20 minutes, right. it, that, that's difficult, you know? And I feel like self-discipline has been around and dealing with that for these thousands of years because we do want an easy fix. Human nature wants to be and done with it. And it's not. Like every day you have to go back to your practice, your, your meditation and your um, yoga practice. Every day you have to go back to that discipline and that exploration of knowing yourself. Right, and with the distractions and the noise, especially today, in today's life, um, that discipline takes some commitment. And oh, for sure. Like I posted something on, just on Facebook and it was like every day things will come up to you and say I'm important no I'm important I'm important and it's up to you every day to put your hand on the heart yep. and voice your truth about what is really important yeah. and those things are of this for me are of this nature interesting of, of yeah of these concepts that we're talking about that 
the there, one of my favorite pre preachers, he's passed away, his name is Chuck Missler. He used to say every day, God asks you a question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? So similar principle. So no matter what is rocking your boat, do you trust? For me, it's you trust God. If it's if your higher power yourself. And so, and similarly, it's that self-discipline of actively having the faith. Yes. Okay, so our next one, after tapas, Svadhaya. I could be this, is this totally, totally butchering that, but I'm pretty sure it's okay. Svadhaya. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. Self-study. Self-study. Like what we're doing today. Every time you come and join us at the Sacred Spaces, we are learning more about ourselves, learning more about yoga, about philosophy and mythology. Like it's, it is trying to, I feel like, learn more. Learn more about the practice, learn more about yourself, going back into yourself to, to reconnect with the divine. Yes. That's it within. Mm. You don't want to add anything to that? I don't know what else I could add to that. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty connected to the divine and coming right out. Oh, well, cool. Well, then moving right along. Yeah. <laughs> Isharba Pranidana. Yeah. How do you say it? <laughs> Ishvara, Ishvara Pranidana. Ishvara Pranidana. I don't know. It means surrender. Yeah. I'm going to surrender to that pronunciation. Right. <laughs> How many of us have a hard time surrendering? So, like, for me, surrendering, the best example of how I can't is in frog pose. I cannot freaking relax in frog pose. Like, I just want to punch people. I hate that pose. That's where you're, like, on the ground and your feet are you out. You really need to focus on non-violence I, I do I really do that pose oh my gosh I cannot surrender in it and there's other things just in random passing life I just I have a harder time surrendering to it and I know that I always go back to that yoga practice but it's just it's so apparent to me when I can't surrender in a practice and or in a pose like in certain back bends where I just don't breathe mm. well how are you going to relax if you don't surrender and breathe because you're going to breathe if you're relaxed I think it's the same with me as as what we were talking about in the last one. There are some sometimes in some situations I view it more as where I am from my inner self into what is in my world. And some situations they come up and I've really gotten good at the art of surrender and other things I will just do everything I can to make it be the way I think it should be. Oh, yeah. Which would go back to that whole um, one we just talked about, contentment, right? Yeah. Eventually, I have, I end up, we have to surrender to these things because, you know, life is perpetual change. And the more we try to paddle upstream, if you using the Tao again, using the river or the water as an as a analogy of life, the currents are always going to win, mm -hmm. unless you're a salmon. <laughs> and why, why do we fight so hard to row upstream when we can just, like, let go of the oars? Because we're possessive and, right. not, and discontent, like that. Right. Dis so, so, again, that's why the, the nonviolence is the foundation of it all. You always go back to that, and that helps you, oh, you know, surrender. And surrender can be hard. I honestly think surrender might be one of my harder ones that I had to deal with because I like, 
But that goes back to possessive and being discontent. Because wait till your kids get a little older. Oh, You'll oh, get really good at this one. Oh, Sedona, oh. My daughter Sedona has been a great teacher for me in surrendering and just allowing someone to be who they are. Because you know we have ideas and visions for our kids, mm -hmm. and they may not have the same vision. <laughs> and guess what? They get to decide for themselves. <laughs> yes. Nobody <laughs> told me that. <laughs> We're, we're kind of struggling with that a little bit where well, my husband is a little bit more than me because my daughter, who's four and a half, loves makeup, loves makeup. And my, it's my mother's fault. She uh, started putting makeup on Adalia as soon as she could stand up and she was watching my mom put lipstick on, she was putting it on Adalia. And so um, for Christmas, Santa Claus brought Mama a lot of makeup so Mama would share with Adalia and Judson struggles with it because he's like, no, she's my little girl. And I'm like... She's still a little girl. She's still she has makeup she on. Just, just let her do it. Little let her girls do it. play dress up. Yep. And and so similarly, we're surrendering to that fact that oh, she wants to have it. She wants to have it. It might not be his ideal. I think it's hilarious, honestly. And I'm learning as a result. It cracks me up when she comes over here with red lipstick on. I'm just like. <laughs> Oh, you should have seen her yesterday. She looked like, oh, she had 80s green. It was amazing and blushed for days. It was awesome. But it all is part of surrendering into what she's going to be and whatever that is. We just, like you said, I got to let go and let her. Well, and again, with the surrendering to that, her being able to explore that now may lead her to either her pur purpose or path or the fact that I don't need makeup to be beautiful. That's what we're hoping for. Right. So, you know, I think the more we kind of freak out about things, the more energy we put into them sometimes. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So, so the last one, did you want to say oh, something else? No, that? no. You say it. I thought, I thought we did self-study. Oh, what I did you do? okay. So a lot of these things are in different orders. Oh, different. gotcha. And I think sometimes that's why I'll say, well, let's start with this. And you'll say, no, but this is the first one because That's there true. are there are different ones. So That's true. So those are the yamas and niyamas. And we will be going through one. We'll be diving into one in the next 11 weeks. Yep. yep. Well, next 10, 10 weeks, weeks after, after this today, one. Some yeah. people call them the, the Ten Commandments of Yoga. But oh, interesting. Yeah. So, so next week we'll be... Diving into Ahimsa, non-violence. Yeah, non so. so make sure you subscribe to our channel, the Thrive Yoga and Wellness channel. We've, like, recently, we've actually, our channel's gotten, um, in the last 30 days, almost like one person a day. That's great. I know, That's right? Great. We appreciate pumped. you. So thanks, you guys, also for watching. Also, share it with your friends. For sure. And for next week, be, be just kind of reflecting on non-violence Give us some comments about some of your thoughts so we can add those in. We really appreciate you being with us on Sacred Spaces. Thank you. Thank you for watching. Namaste. See you soon.